Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Today we are going to continue in our series uh, that focuses upon the uh, Songs for the Savior is the title of the series, Songs for the Savior. And uh, this series will extend another uh, another two messages. Uh, the next message in this series will be in our Christmas Eve service. So I pray and hope that you will be able to attend that service Christmas Eve at 3 p.m. right here at our Gary campus. Uh, and then we will f- conclude the series on uh, on the Sunday following Christmas uh, Christmas Day. So we thank God for that. Uh, Today, our text is taken from Luke chapter 1, verses 57 through 80. Uh, We won't read that. That's a pretty lengthy passage. As a matter of fact, there are even a couple of other uh, sections in that first chapter of Luke that we're going to allude to on today. So uh, turn your Bibles on, open them up to that that section there, and uh, you'll be able to follow along with us. And I hope that you get it, when you get a chance, you will read uh, devotionally and for study uh, the the uh, uh, passage there, Luke chapter uh, chapter one, uh, and that's verses uh, fifty-seven through eighty. Our subject that we want to speak about today is the song of the prophets, the songs of the prophets, uh, or in this case, the song of the prophet. The first message in this series focused primarily upon Mary, the young virgin girl chose by God to birth Jesus the Christ into the world. Mary gave us, as we learned last week, uh, a beautiful song of praise, remembrance, and mercy, which reflects, in many ways, the heart of a mother. Her words, called the Magnificat, resonate with us today in a culture deeply and desperately in need of mothers who find godly joy in the nurturing and the rearing of their children. Look at somebody and say, we need mamas. Yet here in this text, we move from the motherly song of praise sung by Mary to a father named Zechariah a priest-prophet of the Most High God. This week, we hear a song of praise from a man, a husband, a leader in his faith community, and even a prophetic voice of God. Now, I would be remiss if I did not pause here for just a moment And reflect on the power of this description of this man, Zechariah. A husband, a father, a faith community leader. A man that God was using and wanting to use to his fullest potential. 
And I want to give an aside right now to all the brothers that are in the house today. I want you to deeply look within your heart and ask yourself the question, am I such a man? You don't have to be exactly what Zechariah was, but am I the kind of man that God is using to his fullest potential? Amen. That's all right. You can give, you can give God praise right there. That's, that's praiseworthy. We need men in our communities and in our world, in our homes, in our cities, and in our states. We need men willing to be used to the fullest potential by God. Now, men, I can tell you right now, I can come up with about 50 reasons why it's somebody else's fault that I'm not being used to the fullest potential. And that's just for starters. You give me enough time, I can come up with more reasons. But beyond the excuses that we make for ourselves, and many of them start with that first excuse that a man made in the garden. When God asked Adam what's going on, Adam said, this woman. (laughs) God, this woman. This woman you gave me is, is, is the sole reason why we're in the mess that we're in. Look at some brothers are like, that's right, Pastor. But we have made these excuses. We want God. And we should desire for God as men to use us to his fullest potential. And I think there ought to be some ladies in here that give God some praise on that. I'm just saying, you want your husband to be used to his fullest potential. That's right. And so, and so this man, Zechariah, was a man used by God to, to really emanate the full essence of manhood. He was married to Elizabeth. He was a priest. He was the father of John the Baptist. And we are introduced to this man in Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25, where a few significant events occur in the life of this man, Zechariah. Zechariah goes to the temple at the time his temple team was serving. So we know from that that Zechariah was a team player. He was a person that went to the temple because as a priest, there were certain assignments given. So Zechariah had no problem being a man under authority. Make note of that, men. A man under authority. He went to the temple at his assigned time. Zechariah was chosen, and this is the, the way in which they did it, they, that by lottery or by lot, the casting of lots, they chose who would go in and burn the incense at the altar. And Zechariah, uh, the lot fell to him. Now, he didn't say, uh, no, I did it last week. No, uh, I've already done this too much already. He didn't say that. But what, what Zechariah did was he went and assumed the job that was laid before him. Make a note of that, men. Then Zechariah goes into the place of the altar by himself. Men, 
There are times when we just need to worship by ourselves. Every man should have a place, a altar where he worships alone, where he spends time hearing the word of God so that he could lead his family in the right direction. I don't know, y'all kind of slow today. You better catch up with me. Come on. He goes into the place of worship by himself. And in that place of worship, in that place of worship, he receives a visit from the angel Gabriel. And it is in this heavenly angelic conversation. It is that conversation that changes Zechariah's life. Now, angelic visits meant that there was serious news to be conveyed. And so, and so Gabriel tells Zechariah that Zechariah, in your old age, you're getting ready to be a daddy. Now, normally, this would be news that produces great joy in a man, especially when all attempts to conceive for Zechariah and Elizabeth had been thus far unsuccessful. So the angel comes and says that you and your wife are going to have a child. God has heard your cry. And in this angelic visit, Zechariah receives this news and it changes his life. But watch this now. Like many of us in this room today, whether we care to admit it or not, and in spite of the fact that Zechariah stood as a priest of the Most High God, Zechariah doubted the possibility of being a father in his old age. That sound familiar? Remember Abraham? Remember when when God said that I'm going to give you a son of promise and and Abraham and Sarah kind of Sarah, Sarah kind of snickered at that and she was like I really really I, I'm an old woman my husband is an old man <laughs> and there's no way that we really are going to have uh, the ability to have a child. And so here's Zechariah kind of in the same situation where he doubted this, this uh, declaration by the angel. Now, interestingly enough, Zechariah did not seem to be bothered by the fact that he was standing and having a conversation with an angelic being. That would have been the thing that messed me up. <laughs> you know, I'm in the temple doing my duties, and you know, I think about that. I'm, sometimes I'm down here at the church during the week, and there's nobody here in the auditorium, and I'm walking around, and all of a sudden there's Gabriel. I'm like, uh-oh. It finally happened. <laughs> I've lost my marbles. <laughs> I'm seeing things. <laughs> that didn't bother him at all. What bothered him was the news. So apparently in Zechariah's paradigm, angelic visits are okay. Just don't come telling me I'm going to be a daddy as an old man. He doubted if he could be a daddy on God's word or anyone else's. And doubt 
my brothers and sisters, is a funny thing. There are some of us sitting here right now that are doubting God in our own lives. We're doubting that God would want to use us. And the enemy uses this paradigm to help us understand or to help us uh, move towards doubt. He always makes you think about your, the fact that you are unworthy to be used. And you know what I do? I agree with him. I'm like, you know what, devil? I am unworthy. You know what, devil? I did have some thoughts last week that I shouldn't have had. You know what, devil? When I get to yours, just say something. I said some things that I shouldn't have said. I went some places I shouldn't have gone. I am unworthy, but thanks be to God that he is a grace-giving God that has chose to use me in spite of myself. Look at somebody and tell them, in spite of me. God is using me. So don't, don't fall prey to this doubt thing that, that somehow you're not worthy. You are not worthy. It is by grace. It is by Jesus Christ. It is by his blood. You don't earn that position. So as a result, here's what Gabriel tells Zechariah. Gabriel declares that because of his unbelief, Zechariah would not be able to speak a word until his child is born. Now, this had to be tough on a preacher. <laughs> My wife tell me I talk too much as it is. And I tell her I talk for a living. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> but... But imagine preachers, come on, y'all help me here. If, 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 if God, if God said, you can't talk, what? <laughs> Anything but that, you know, I, I, I'd almost give up walking if I, if I you know, rather than talking, you can't, you can't speak, really? And so a preacher, that'd be tough on him, a loss of speech. And so it was this visit from Gabriel that placed Zechariah on the road to prophetic declaration and song. But before we get there, let's just take a moment and consider the prophet and his role concerning the coming Messiah. Many Old Testament prophets declared that God would send a Messiah to Israel for the express purpose of delivering his people. Let's consider what they said about Jesus. Moses said this in Deuteronomy 18, 15 and 18. He said that the Messiah is a prophet whom God would raise up. So we know that the Messiah is going to be raised up by God. David said this. He says that the Messiah is the one who would sit on God's right hand. Isaiah said this in Isaiah 7 and 14. He says his name shall be Emmanuel, which means God with us. But he goes on to say that he's got some other names, folks. And these names are wonderful. Counselor, the mighty God, Prince of Peace, the one who is wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. That's who the Messiah is. 
Isaiah says that the chastisement of our peace will be placed upon him. What about Jeremiah and the prophet Zechariah? Jeremiah called him the branch. Zechariah said uh, in agreement with Jeremiah that that the Messiah is the Lord our righteousness. Ezekiel and Zechariah the prophet said that that the Messiah will be the shepherd. He will be the shepherd that looks over the sheep. Daniel said this, that the the, the Messiah is the son of man whose dominion is an everlasting dominion. Of his kingdom, there will be no end. Micah said this, that that the, the Messiah is to be the ruler in Israel. And in Malachi, he is the angel of, of the covenant. And so these prophets, these prophets knew, they knew that there was a Messiah to come. And each of these declarations is a glimpse and a prophetic whisper of what is to come. The prophets did not get the entire picture, but they got enough not only to whet their appetite for Jesus, but to motivate others to believe that God would soon send the one to set things right. Their shadows of the coming Messiah help help build the faith of a nation in need of hope for deliverance. And my brothers and sisters, I want you to think about the new prophetic role that happens when you become a believer. You too are laying a foundation for a soon coming king. As you preach and share the gospel with men and women everywhere, you might not have the whole picture all at one time. But what you do have is that God has extended his love to all of creation, offering the gospel as the remedy to reconcile humanity back to himself. That you have. You may not have signs and wonders, but you have the gospel. You may not have eloquence of speech, but you have the gospel. You may not be able to pray like others pray, but you have the gospel. You may not be able to sing like others sing, but you have the gospel. Look at somebody and say, I got what I need. You got the gospel. And you and we must build hope in a lost generation of men and women. We must build hope that the world is not what it looks like. You must build hope that there's opportunity for salvation and that there is a soon coming Savior. Now let me give you an example of how how this, this, this prophetic picture worked. Have you ever been in a movie theater or even watching television and they show you previews of coming attractions? Amen? <laughs> yeah. yes, nowadays, you go to the movies, you can be 20 minutes late. <laughs> because 20 minutes of that ticket price you bought is going to be previews of coming attractions. 
they will make sure that you see what's coming. And they never give you a lot, just enough to whet your appetite. And you sitting there munching on your popcorn for those 20 minutes and drinking your Coke or your, not Coke, Pepsi, drinking your Pepsi. <laughs> drinking your Pepsi and your, <laughs> and your or Sierra Mist. Or <laughs> you're drinking this, this, this drink. How about that? <laughs> and you're thinking, man, I'd love to see that. That looks like it's going to be good. And, and sometimes... You get it right. But sometimes you're like, man, I, I, want, I, I saw the previews and I thought this was going to be really excellent. And I got there and it was a dud. Well, in this prophetic picture, you don't have to worry about a dud. The preview, amen. The preview that the prophets were giving was of the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ, who would come and offer salvation to Israel and the world. And so if they wanted you, those coming attractions motivate you. Prophecy about the Messiah was just like that. The prophet was hyped to talk about Jesus and folks were excited just thinking about seeing him. It is in this messianic climate we find our man, Zechariah, being told that his child, his firstborn son, would be the voice used by God to declare and make straight the way or path of the Lord. Gabriel says this about Zechariah's son in Luke chapter 1, 13 through 17. It says, but the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. And you shall call his name John. Verse 14. And you will have joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord, their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Now, let that resonate and and marinate in your heart for a minute. What father would not shout for joy for a son like that? I think about if my father had gotten that news about me. (laughs) He would have been excited to know that my son is going to do this. I think about if I've gotten that, that news about my sons, I would have been excited to know. But let me tell you something, saints. Fathers who are in here with sons, you have news about your son. They can be molded and modeled 
in the shape of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives and yours. Don't give up on your son. The son to prepare God's people for the coming Jesus. What father wouldn't dance in the street for a boy like that? Now, all during the pregnancy of his wife, Zechariah was under the discipline of the Lord. Now, ladies, think about that for a minute. Those of you who had children, your husband couldn't talk at all. You could complain as much as you want. <laughs> you can tell him to do everything you need him to do. He couldn't say a word back. <laughs> Julie could say, Joey, go out here and do this. Go get me some, some peanut butter, pickles, and Fritos. And put them all in the same bag. Hey, them cravings is rough. <laughs> and Joey wouldn't be able to say a word because he was under the discipline of the Lord. And God said, you won't be able to speak. He could not speak. And some speculate that he couldn't hear as well. The time then came for Elizabeth to give birth. And the angel said she gave birth to a boy. Now note the reaction of this community to this child's birth. In verse 57 of Luke 1, it says, Now the time that came for Elizabeth to give birth, she bore a son. Verse 58, And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. Elizabeth had, had not been able to conceive. She was up in age. And in that society, in that day and time, it was very important. People measured effectiveness and, 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 and all that by, by uh, you fulfilling your full role. So uh, for a woman, that was motherhood. And somehow you were somehow incomplete if you didn't have a child. And so when people heard about it, they got excited. They knew that in her old age, God had done something remarkable. Now, the text goes on to teach us that after the child was born, he was to be circumcised according to the tradition. He, in addition, this was a time for all to hear what his name would be. Apparently, this was some big community event, sort of like a baby dedication party, only for circumcision. Now, I, I can't even imagine what that was like. <laughs> and can you imagine at your 18th birthday, the father tells you, man, we had a party for your circumcision. Just want you to know. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. That's too much information. I... But they gathered and inquired as to what name the baby would have with the assumption that as a male child, he would bear the name of his father. That was a tradition. You know, I, my, my father's name is Raymond and he gave me Raymond Jr. And my son who was here today, I gave him Raymond III. And I told him, you ever have a boy, he better be Raymond IV. If it's good enough for the King of England, it's good enough for us. I'm just saying. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I'm not saying that's Bible. That's just me. Amen. <laughs> But uh, it was the custom. But Elizabeth knew, she knew what the angel had said to her husband. And she told everyone present that John would be his name. 
And even though she was emphatic, the family said, wait a minute, Elizabeth. Uh Uh-uh. We're not talking to you about this because you obviously are mixed up. Nobody in your family has the name John. We can't even find a third cousin twice removed with the name John. Nobody has the name John. Why would you want to name this baby John? Doesn't Zachariah Jr. have a little, you know, ring to it? Elizabeth was emphatic. So they went to Zechariah. There's a lesson here, husbands and wives. Watch this now. They went to Zechariah and they made a sign and wrote it out on a piece of paper. They say, hey, man, what is his name going to be? And Zechariah said, give me a pencil and some paper. He didn't say it, but he gestured because he couldn't speak, remember? And he wrote in no uncertain terms. And the word order that he wrote within indicated an emphasis. He wrote, his name is John. Now, if you look in the Greek, in the word order, he wrote this. John is his name. I am emphasized. We're not, there's no changing. I don't care that nobody else has been named John in our family. I am doing what God said do. His name is John. Now, (laughs) right then, before their very eyes, a man, a husband, a father, a preacher who could not speak a word for the past nine months broke out in a song of praise, blessing the name of the Lord. Now, in this moment, we get the second song of the Savior. And I want to just give you the, the, the Zechariah's song is called the Benedictus, which in Latin translation means blessed. And there are two sections of this song, and I want to give those to you, and we'll be ready to move on today. The first section of this song, starting at verse 68 in Luke 1, is that Zechariah delights in God for messianic deliverance. Zechariah delights in God for messianic deliverance. Now, all of that backstory is important because it gets you to to see what what Zechariah was saying here. He says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. He has visited and redeemed his people. His people. Jesus was conceived, but not yet born. What 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 was it that made Zechariah so sure of this Messiah? His own his own experience with God. Let him know that God is a promise keeping God. You won't speak until this child born. Once you name him John and do what I said do, your tongue is loose. That was all it took to take Zechariah to a new faith paradigm. He went from being the preacher, prophet, husband, to now being one who believed God no matter what. Now, 
Now, here's a, here's a tidbit for you. You wonder why you have certain trials in your life. You wonder why you have to go through certain things. God is trying to move you to a new faith paradigm where you begin to trust him no matter what. Where you begin to say that no matter what I'm going through, I know that the Lord will make a way. So Zechariah was in this confirmed faith paradigm. God confirmed that he was who he said he was and he will do what he says he's going to do. Now, the next thing is Zechariah praised God for the work of the Redeemer that has come. Look at this in verse 69. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. This horn of salvation represented the power of horned animals. That was, that was what the, the imagery was. That animals with horns, like a rhinoceros, you know, a very powerful beast. If I'm walking down the street and I see a rhinoceros, I'm going the other way. Because I know that that rhinoceros has power and the, and the horned animals in the ancient Near East represented power. If you look at, at some of the idol gods of people who lived in the ancient Near East time, many of them have animal heads that have horns on them. Because that was a symbol of power. And so here's what Zechariah is saying. He's saying, you didn't just give us any old horn, Lord. You gave us the horn of salvation. And, and, and the redeemer of Israel would be so powerful as to accomplish the salvation of an entire nation. And that lets us know that salvation, my brothers and sisters, is only found in Jesus. Amen. Now, here's the, here's the next thing. The next thing. Zechariah praised God for confirming the prophet's word about the Messiah. Look at this in verse 70. He says, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, in Zechariah's new faith paradigm, God did exactly what he said he would do and therefore is worthy of praise, glory, honor, majesty, esteem, exaltation, and exclamation. God is worthy of all of those things. God is worthy because he does what he says he's going to do. And in Zechariah's new faith paradigm, and if you're ready to move to that new faith paradigm, you'll find that when there's trouble in your life, you'll just start praising. Oh, see, y'all didn't get that. Y'all didn't get that. When there are problems, you will praise God for the difficulty. You will praise God for the hardship. You will praise God even though sometimes at night you have to cry yourself to sleep. You'll wake up with a song of praise because God has given you another day's journey to go and be before his presence. Watch this now. So this, this, this is our contemporary problem. The failure to praise God, uh, give him the praise he's due for keeping his word. He said he would deliver you. And I'm just going to ask you today, didn't he do it? Didn't he do it? Did he do what he said he was going to do? 
Now, some of you made a deal with God to be rich, and God doesn't make that deal. I'm going to tell you that right now. He said, I want, to, I want to save you and deliver you from evil and from hell. Didn't God do that? Well, somebody ought to give God some praise in here for, for being delivered. The, third, the next thing is that Zechariah praised God for deliverance from oppression. Verse 71, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Look at that. Delivered from oppression. Zechariah Zechariah prophetically saw the freedom of Israel from oppression because of this mighty power of this Messiah. So he saw the day when Israel would no longer be oppressed under Roman rule. He saw the day when Israel would be free because of the power of the Messiah. The next thing is, Zechariah praised God for mercy and remembering covenant. In verse 72 and 73, he says, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. God, Zechariah is praising God because God was a covenant remembering God. God never forgot the covenant that he made with Abraham. And he says, out of you, I'm going to make a great nation. That your descendants will be too numerous for anyone to number. God never forgot that covenant. Now I want to share something with you because some of us think God is absent-minded. That somehow he doesn't remember what his promises are to us. And in, in difficulty, we start trying to work things out ourselves. Just throw your hand up real fast if that's you. I just don't let anybody see it. Everybody think you holy in here. But God doesn't need our help in remembering his promises, nor does he need our help in working out situations in our lives. God is able to do it all by himself. The next thing is, Zechariah praised God for a new national and personal opportunity to serve God. Watch this now. Verse 74, to grant us that we, meaning Israel, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. Look at that. In holiness, righteousness before him all, in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. That he might, that we might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness. See, when you move to a new faith paradigm, you also move to a new service paradigm. See, some of you thought that, oh, I just have faith that, you know, the size of mustard seed, I move mountains. Yeah, that mustard seed faith come with some service too. Amen. You walk around here with all this faith and no service. I'm telling you, faith without works is what? That's what James says. James says, how can you say you have faith and you have no works? You don't get, you don't work to get faith. But if you say you have it and God has given it to you by grace, then you ought to have some works that demonstrate your faith. 
And so what happens with Christians is we get the whole faith thing, but we don't want to get the works thing. We're always too busy to work for the kingdom. We always have too many things going on in our lives to work for the kingdom. I'm saying maybe we need to narrow some of the things that you're doing for you and start doing some things for Jesus. I'm just saying. All right. Now that I'm thoroughly in trouble, let's keep moving here. You get a new service paradigm. There's a new allegiance, a new commitment to please your new master. Your, your old master was self. Your new master is Christ. You're still under subjection, but now you're under subjection to Christ. And being under subjection to Christ means I serve Christ. So now let's look at the second part. Zechariah, the second part of this song, Zechariah delights in his son, John, the voice of preparation. Now, Zechariah delights in God's choosing of John to be the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. If we go to Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 5, you'll find these words. A voice cries in the wilderness. Now, now here's the interesting thing. We've always interpreted that as a voice crying in the wilderness. That's how we interpret it. But look at what it says. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. So, in other words, wherever the voice is, and if the voice is happen to be, does happen to be in the wilderness, it's crying the same thing. So now this is for everybody, whether you're in the wilderness or not. We are a voice and the voice will cry in the wilderness. And the wilderness represents the world and the world system, the world uh, uh, and all of its problems in that wilderness a voice cries, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low, the uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places made plain. Somebody a shout for glory right there. Watch this. And verse 5 says, And the glory of the Lord 